1: Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. Back in the can for another edition of the Lunatic Fringe podcast. And, man, I've got so many questions and so many stories I want to hear about. So straight to it. Who the fuck are you and what do you do?
0: Hey, uh, my name is Luke Aikens. I skydive. I fly planes. mostly for red bull but about anything you can think of in the air i'm doing
1: dude you know i've seen so many videos and so many clips of the stuff that you've done over the years everything from badass jumps to flying with the kids that just always makes me grin so there's so much i want to hear about and and thank you so much for taking the time for those that are seeing the video that is a gorgeous backdrop you've got right there what is that
0: uh it's my cessna 180 my dad and i bought it i uh been working on it for a bunch of years since he passed on and uh Over the last year, I had a little time on my hands. I had my pilot's (laughs) license. So we kind of redid a bunch of work on the 180, and so I'm I'm proud to show her off.
1: Oh, it's absolutely beautiful. Tundra tires and everything. I mean, that's a beautiful bird. Yeah. So look, straight to it. Uh, I always get started by asking my guests how they got started in anything extreme, not necessarily just skydiving.
0: So how did it all start for you? Um, Well, for me, I'm a third-generation skydiver. My uh, grandpa flew P-47s in World War II, um, got shot down, a little mechanical problem over in Europe, tried to open up the cockpit of his P-47, couldn't get it open, crashed, landed in Allied territory in a field. No big deal. They bring everything back. But he always wondered what it would have been like that day to jump out. Um, flash forward, he's back in the States, late 60s. He goes out to a club, you know, a skydiving club back then. Yeah, yeah. Um, And with a buddy, and they made a skydive. Uh old static line you know and uh fell in love with it so much that he started his own club and that turned into uh eventually scott of Kapowson that my aunt and uncle own and run and now my cousin andy and Carrie are taking it over from them and so for me it wasn't just uh if you're gonna jump but it's win nice that's you know <laughs> that's, it's I'm the, kind of I'm the oldest of us. So I've
1: I've kind of talked to a number of multi generational skydivers, and I always ask, was it uh, uh, different for you in that um, there was a point in your life where you were pushing back because that's what the family did?
0: You know, I rebelled against my parents in a lot of ways, but uh, being able <laughs> to skydive was not one of them. You know, like I couldn't <laughs> wait. It was the only thing in my life as a teenager that I cared enough about to follow the rules to not get grounded, you know what I mean? It was the only thing that they could take away from me that I really cared about. So uh as far as skydiving goes, it was not uh where I rebelled against. Uh I have some brothers and sisters and we have a couple of cousins that they all made jumps at some point in their life. Uh but they might not have loved it quite like I did. You know, I was willing to clean toilets, whatever I had to do to be able to skydive. Um, sure. So for me, it was all I wanted to do.
1: Well that's a pretty incredible carrot to be able to hold out in front of your kid too, right? <laughs>
0: Yeah. And back then, you know, uh, I made a tandem when I was 12. I got to uh, do my first static line jump by myself when I was 16. Wow. So I had one jump when I was 12 and then I had to wait four years, you know, and that's a painful four years for a, a 12 to 16 year old. And then uh, started skydiving when I was 16 and haven't stopped since.
1: And you started, I'm assuming in Kapalson.
0: Yeah. At Skydive Kapalson. I actually grew up on the When we came back from the military, we moved out on the private airport where Kapausen was, a little neighborhood. So literally out our window was the DZ across the student field. So I grew up. I mean, this is all I did, all I looked at every day, all day.
1: And what a stunning area. I mean, even if you're on the ground, what a stunning area. But to be jumping over that, I mean, you had to have known how special that place was.
0: You know, I think when you're a kid, you don't realize that stuff. When I look back now and I think about how I grew up. Um, and, uh, all of the benefits that we had, you know, growing up in that community, whether it was flying, dad, teach you to fly skydiving, whatever, just freedom, right? We're on a private airport. You could ride your motorcycle you do whatever you want. Um, Andy Farrington and I, my cousin have kind of recreated that for ourselves here. Uh, we live on a 40 acres between the two of us. It's all fenced in. We had a little grass strip at our house and we oh. kind of tried to recreate that for our kids, um, so that they can enjoy the way we grew up. Yeah,
1: I mean, well, and it's such a uh, but bes- beside the countryside and and uh, um, being able to just enjoy everything that the Pacific Northwest has got, I mean, to be able to fly over it and jump
0: over it is just how special is that? You didn't know how beautiful it was till my first trip down to Eloy. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, I bet. You, know, you kind of take it for granted, right? And then you go to Arizona and you got all these cool aircraft and um, so hot, but desert you know sunrise and sunset is beautiful there but middle of the day is hot
1: yeah but- i kind of i did it backwards from you because i started out in las vegas and uh um, so eloy was i i just thought that's how it was and i didn't see green until i started jumping in cross keys
0: nice edo's place i had some good times up there it was a hell of a place wasn't it it was in its heyday. It was awesome up there at Cross Keys. I
1: uh, I was jumping out there 2004-2005, kind of when it was at its peak. Um, actually, just had a conversation last night with an old instructor out uh, uh, by the name of Simeon Lott that was jumping out there at the same time. And great crew, Kim Worthington, uh, um, Jacko, and all this, just amazing jumpers.
0: Yeah, it's fun. I didn't know John until I was much farther in my career, you know, and... Uh, We were at a swoop competition at Wildwood, New Jersey, and uh, (laughs) he was flying us in the helicopter. uh, And I think Ian and Shannon was at one of the early team events. Ian and Shannon get out, and they do the PD thing, and then Andy and I, Farrington, are getting out, and we're we're getting ready to go. And after those other guys jump, the helicopter starts, like, spinning pretty violently at altitude and rocking and rolling. And I was about to jump, but, you know, I grew up in the stuff, so I'm like, do I jump? Do I not jump? I looked up at him, and uh, John was just cracking up, laughing up front, you know. (laughs) I think he knew the guys he could mess with and weren't going to get upset about it.
1: Well, the sense of humor on that guy was epic because most of the time he wouldn't pull the pranks, he'd suggest somebody else pull them and he'd sit back and <laughs> laugh his
0: ass off watching it happen. Yeah. Do you know was, what do you know what year that was? You know, I don't know it was the first Wildwood New Jersey competition. It was like I mean, geez, now we're all the older generation, but at the time right. it was the up and coming. I mean, we were figuring out the swooping thing and it was one of the first team swoop events. I believe we were doing like formation swoops on the beach out there. It was super okay.
1: Cool. Yeah. I, I, uh, I worked to tandems a couple of years that they were doing the PST out there. And I think it was, it was Heath Richardson was competing at the time and yeah, all the OG guys. That's awesome. Yeah. So you did your first uh, um, static line when you were 16. Uh, was it just nonstop from there or?
0: You know, uh, unless I was in trouble for something, which happened fairly often, um, I was jumping as much as I could. Uh, my aunt and uncle ran the skydive center, Jesse and Jeff Farrington. Um, my dad was an airline pilot for United, and I would we lived across the way. Uh, my mom enjoyed skydiving, right, because she jumped before she was pregnant or when she was pregnant with me, but then stopped but she didn't like the, you know, back then, you know, being a kid hanging out of drop zones a little different than now. It's a little more professional now than back then, you know, mom was always worried about the influences and things like that. So I was (laughs) able to be there during daylight hours. And at night she tried to get me out of there. (laughs) It has changed a lot, right? I mean, it's a, it's a lot family or friendly. It's a whole new thing. I mean, even up here, we were always a family oriented skydive center. Um, but now it, it's more of a, all of them are more of a business. There's very few that have that old feel of like a clubhouse kind of thing. You know, they're all sure. turning. It's just the way it, it, it's the evolution of what we've done here.
1: Sure. Well, and I would imagine part of that is the fact that our generation grew up at its the peak of crazy days. And, and I think all of us are like, no, nah, we got to slow this shit down.
0: <laughs> I travel around and I, I do lots of demonstration jumps for Red Bull. I meet lots of people. They always talk about skydiving and. Everyone has a story about, oh, man, and there's usually a, an older gentleman like, man, I went out and went skydiving, blah, blah. And they talk about how sketchy it was. And um, I call that the blue skies, black death period of skydiving. Yes. And I sort of enjoy that looking back as a kid. I was just behind that. You know, I was at the tail end of that when I started. Um, but that's what I, I call it. That if you were going to call Generation X or whatever, I would say that was the blue skies, black death uh
1: yeah for sure well and that's one of the funnest parts that uh, i've had with the podcast is i've had people from back in the day you know i had bill booth on and and uh, uh mo valetto and all these ogs that were you know back when that uh you remember the old t-shirt that said i remember when sex was safe and skydiving was dangerous that my mom generation. wouldn't let me
0: get one i wanted one so bad <laughs> i was a teenager mom said no way
1: my two favorite uh, pieces of clothing that I ever got. One back then was that T-shirt. And then I could never afford uh, Tony patch pants the, in back in the day. So when I was working with the company, they sent me a pair.
0: Nice. Now, I remember that shirt. I think there were a bunch of sperm in a DC-3 that were yes. running out the door, right? That's the exact shirt, right? <laughs> yeah, man. It was That's the it. greatest shirt. I can picture that shirt right now. Yeah. So when did
1: the flying start for you? Was it at the same time?
0: I mean, as a kid, you grew up, uh, my grandpa took us flying as champ or my dad, you know, my dad and uncle had a uh, beach 18. We had all the, you know, all the stuff for the jump center. So you'd go riding and you get to play with the yoke stuff like that. But then when we got uh, a little bit older, obviously, as soon as I turned 16, I soloed on my 16th birthday. Mm. Um, I didn't get to jump on my 16th birthday. Cause I was in trouble for, I think I borrowed the family car. and went to a football game before I had my license. <laughs> um, but I got to solo. My dad kind of pushed mom into that. So I got to solo an airplane on my 16th birthday. My brother, Josh, actually got to do solo, driver's license, and first jump all on his 16th birthday.
1: That's a hell of a birthday.
0: Yeah, he was a little more rule follower than me. He got to do it all.
1: <laughs> well, now, so that area air- kind of- to learn how
0: to fly in that area uh, must have been kind of challenging, no? I mean, that's... I don't know any different. You know, if you grow up and you start skydiving at a drop zone that has a small student landing area... Your accuracy gets good, right? If you live on a small airport and that's where you learn to fly, you go to a great big field and you know what I mean? Then people are kind of landing all over because you're not focused on landing an exact point. So I think it's whatever you're used to. It's exactly the same as flying a parachute in my mind. Yeah, no,
1: fair enough. And I can completely see that. I, my, my flying career started out in Northern California in Sacramento, you know, in the valley. So I had nothing but wide open skies and massive fields. And the first time I tried to c- cross the mountains to go visit my mom in Seattle, I hit proper turbulence and literally scared the shit out of myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> It'll happen.
1: Yeah. So uh as you uh you're growing up and obviously you're you're uh, living that lifestyle was it uh different for you as a kid with the the kids you were going to school with were they like holy shit you get to jump out of airplanes or was that just something you did
0: Um I think that it was a little bit of both right It's your buddies you grew up with school and they would come visit you and uh, spend the night sleepovers at your house or whatever you're around the airport but when you're a kid you cared more about riding motorcycles and you know doing that kind of stuff um as we got into junior high and high school a lot of my buddies would say you know, as soon as school was over or practice was over for whatever sport it was, I'm off to the DZ back home because I could pack a parachute back then. It was three bucks a canopy, right? I would pack right. a couple Goliaths or MT1S is like a DC5 looking thing. You'd pack some student rigs. You're making three bucks, which was good money. You could make a lot of money in a day back yeah. then. Doing so I'd do that instead of flip burgers. But a lot of my friends at the time were like, man, you're just wasting your life, blah, blah. They're out going to the lake and, and goofing off. And all I wanted to do was be at the jump center when the weather was nice um uh jump and girls is about all i cared about as a teenager um it's really funny though you went back later and you go to like a reunion you run into some buddies from from school or whatever and uh just like me, they find it hard to believe that I was actually able to make a career out of uh goofing off at the jump center.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's the same with me. I mean, uh, I think I was the one that everybody figured I'd survive. They just didn't know how I was gonna manage to to make it through life. And of course, to end up jumping out of airplanes and doing stuff like that, people kind of were like, "How the first off, how the fuck do you make money doing that? Second off, of course, that's what you do.
0: And uh, the money thing was a big one for me. Like uh, my uncle owned the drop zone. Um, they covered my student jumps, but then after that, I had to pay for my jumps, you know, and do all that, so I packed parachutes I did all that. What I realized growing up though around the jump center is back then, you know you had the guys you could live in a van or a tent at the drop zone and in Washington in the summers only yeah, um, and you could skydive and they look like they're having a great time and doing all that. um, but my dad was a little more buttoned up. he you know was in the military and then flew for the airlines, and we had a house, we had a little airplane. Um, that's the stuff I wanted to have. Sure. So I was jumping and skydiving on the weekends of doing that stuff. And then I realized that there wasn't really I could do tandems, I could tow some drugs. I was 18, 19, I could I could do that. Uh, but I wasn't gonna have the lifestyle, I wasn't gonna be able to have this behind me here, right? Yeah. An airplane. Um, and that's what I wanted. So then I went to work for a buddy doing dirt work, heavy equipment um for a couple two years, and I started my own business. So I would people ask what do you do for a living? At that point, I was playing in the dirt and jumping out of airplanes. I mean, it was like the perfect life. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what though, that's fucking better.
1: That's so fucking smart because I would think that the natural assumption would be if you're raised in that environment and you love jumping as much as you did, that, fuck it, that's just what I'm going to do. But you're kind of thinking outside the box when you realize at a young age, I got to get a real job if I want the other toys as
0: well. That's pretty forward thinking. that's what I wanted. The the jumping was the most fun ever, but I also didn't like just doing work jumps. And back then, there weren't teams fully sponsored. There wasn't. I mean, at our drop zone, we're up here in the Northwest in Washington, right? Um, Craig Gerard was based here before he went to the Golden Knights and stuff, you know, so I knew Craig before he went to the Knights and all that stuff. And that was about the only way that you could make a living and be like a competitive skydiver or not just an instructor Sure, um, would be to go into the military at that time. And I almost did that. I went to do the paperwork. They tried to get me in there um what ended up happening was i wanted to guarantee i could go to tryouts i'm like Mm. hey if i fuck up tryouts that's on me but i don't want to go because you had to pick a discipline like a rigor or something for them to be able to let you out of your job to go to tryouts right but i didn't want to be in the military and do that for a living right if i'm in the military i want a job that's cool i want to be doing something that i think is fun or more exciting and they couldn't guarantee me tryouts so i never signed up so i decided i need to do something else to make a, a real living. That's where I am.
1: Did uh, did flying ever cross your mind with the dad working in the airlines?
0: It did. I always wanted to be a pilot, but um, honestly, I wasn't very good at school. I hated. I love school for the social aspect, but uh, come to find out much later, I know now because I have an 11-year-old son um, and learning about my dad's history whatever, I was really dyslexic when I was a kid. I still am now. Wow. Um, to the point that even stuff that I love, you know, back then it was you were lazy. You're a kid that didn't care about school. You were lazy and all that. And I mean, even when I'm flying this plane, if someone gives me a squawk, they give me a number, right? Hey, squawk 3507. I will say, all right, 3705. And, you know, I flip it like that. I have to repeat the number until I put it in. So um, that was why I was scared because back then you had to be a college educated. You had a college education to be sure. an airline pilot. Sure. So uh, I didn't go that route. For that I reason mean, that
1: well, be- and it's a challenging route, even if you're not having to overcome something like dyslexia, because I'm not dyslexic and working my way up to ATP kicked my fucking ass for years. It's hard.
0: Yeah. And that was kind of you know, I guess honestly, I was probably chicken. I was probably scared of that a little bit. You know what I mean? I didn't want to fail that with my whole family. This is what they did. Yeah. You know? Um, and for me, uh, I also couldn't imagine at that time a weekend away from the drop zone. I mean, it would you know, up here in the northwest, when I was even doing dirt work, I would be in the neighborhood somewhere, and I have an excavator going or something, and I could hear the plane go by or see it. The rest of my day was ruined. Right, yeah, the yeah. work went shoddy. I was the fast you could go to get out of there.
1: Yeah, no, no, I absolutely feel you. I'm I'm kind of semi-retired from flying now and where I'm living, they've got an old DC-3 that flies tours around. Uh, and every time I hear that thing rumbling past instantly, I'm looking out the window, fuck, where is it? And, you know, you can't help it. It's just a draw.
0: Yep. And, so uh,
1: when did your jumping career start to turn towards um, the more uh, obscure stuff that you've done? I mean, a lot of the stuff that you've done has been way outside the box.
0: Yeah, so I grew up up here in the Northwest. Um, my aunt, uh, accuracy was what you did. Traditional accuracy was was the big thing up here, right? We had a lot of cloudy days, a lot of 3,000-foot jumps. Back then, they were at 1,500-foot jumps. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I think the statute of limitations has gone on that. <laughs> yep. There was a lot of, you know, low altitude. Hey, just punt, get her going fast, and I'll get out. You know, all of those old days. Uh, so I did a lot of accuracy, traditional accuracy jumping, and then some crews, some two-stacks, stuff like that uh obviously the tandems, the instruction and stuff and then um i started i always liked doing the next thing right so even back then if you're goofing around jumping out with a boogie board or you know all the goofy novelty stuff that i thought was neat in the early 90s you know anything sure. you can think of in the early 90s that you were trying to do right from the sit suits to the whatever you know, I always <laughs> wanted to get on the edge um and then we started swooping parachutes that have no business swooping, you know. Yep. Um, Kelly Farrington, my cousin owns Velocity Sports. He was a year older than me. We're at the same the the same stuff, and Kelly was swooping his cruise light. I mean, <laughs> it, you know, like really bad stuff. You know, back yeah, then, yeah. but super fun. And so I was always pushing the edge uh, of stuff. And then uh, I did got into swooping when the parachutes when ZP material came out. Yeah, and the first real like a robo Z. I mean, we're talking. I'm dating myself now, but that was the first. <laughs> Zero porosity hybrid canopy I can remember. Yeah. Um and that thing, a 185, was like a rocket ship, right? Yep. And I weighed 160 pounds then. But uh you re I really enjoyed that. And then when the swooping took off, all the PST, the Pro Tour, and all that stuff, I started doing that. And then um I helped out on a Red Bull demo, right? Um uh and I I had some stuff where I was doing the dirt work, I had we had an accident happen. Um, and I was kind of done with that. I didn't want to do that stuff anymore. And the Red Bull thing kind of came up at that exact same moment. And I ended up taking, um, this little opportunity with Red Bull, which was basically I helped out on a demo into hmm. the Seahawks stadium. Um, and I was so excited. It was so cool. Um, I helped out on a demo and you do, know, you do a good job. You land where you're supposed to, you can talk educated. You don't sound like the, yo, bro, dude, man, you know, <laughs> right? right. Um, and then that slowly John DeVore. Slowly uh, and Othar were like, oh, I got a little more work, and a little more work from them. And then it started to turn into a really busy demo season. You know, we're doing like 40, 50 jumps. And with Red Bull, they would allow me to come up with ideas.
1: Hmm.
0: It would help you do all the stuff you're doing on a shoestring before, you know, doing Mr. Bills and climbing up on sliders and having the low guy cut away and flying around, sitting on the slider, all that stuff that was just fun goof off on a Wednesday afternoon. Now. There was an outlet to show it off and to sure. do neat stuff. So uh, at that point, I'd always been pushing it and you know pushing it and pushing it. And then when Red Bull gave me uh, that opportunity to push it with a little backing, it kind of right. opened my eyes up to see like, wow, there's yeah. a lot of stuff that you could do if you have proper support.
1: Um, yeah. And- well, and I mean, Red, this would have been at the basically the very beginning for Red Bull Air Sports, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I came in not I would say in the middle of that, like the end of like the heyday stuff of that with Red Bull. Um before that, I was doing I did a bunch of crew world records and you know, a couple belly world records and things like that that were super fun, but again, those were all you were spending money. You weren't making money. Yeah. And you're sleeping on the floor. We went from I say that the most of the people on the Red Bull Air Force and I think of myself, Andy and Jeffro, right? Remember when Team Chaos? We were Team Chaos. It was me, yeah. Andy, Jeffro, uh, and TJ and we traveled on. We were swooping. It was flight. It wasn't flight one back then, but it was PD and it was us. And there was uh, the Cobalt guys. It was like a really fun. It was the beginning of all of that. Sure. We uh, we would go from sharing a hotel room right with three or four dudes sharing a hotel room like any competitors do, and jumping your ass off hoping to win enough money to buy a plane ticket home. <laughs> I mean, like that was how it would go back then. Yep. And then we we were able to take that, and then all of a sudden. We're staying in nice hotels in our own rooms, doing a jump with no pressure. Just show yeah. off. Basically. They're saying like you jump into a crowd of people in front of a bar and your whole job is to show off and then burn it down with the bar and have a good time. Right. Be the be the fun thing. And that was a uh, a change. Right. You're like, wow, there's oh, a yeah. whole nother about here. And I'd heard rumors from the Budweiser team that was sponsored a long time ago. There was a Budweiser skydiving team and a couple other ones. And uh, I think we were able to take that kind of thing and turn it into, thanks to like John DeVore and some of the other guys ahead of me, um, open the door for us to be able to make a a true living and sure. uh, explore, try things that had never been done before.
1: Well, when I had a chance to talk to, uh, to Jeffro a few months back, it was great because I was talking to him from the uh, Red Bull um, uh, medical facility where you guys do all your checkups and all the training and stuff. <laughs> And uh, he's you know there making sure the old bones are working right and everything, and he's telling me the story of how he was originally approached by uh, Red Bull and he turned him down, and I almost fell out of my fucking chair. I'm like, you did what? And he's all,
0: <laughs> yeah, I got a second shot at it though, and and was it's chasing Roberta. He was chasing Roberta around the country. <laughs> I mean, whatever Jeffro says, he's my best friend. One well, of my best friends. Whatever he says, Jeffro was chasing Roberta around the world. And he wasn't going to give that up for nothing. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, I can't fault can't fault him for that. I'm I obviously
1: uh, looking back now. It's it's uh, great that he had that second chance, especially with all the stuff that he's done. And you guys have done so much stuff together as well. In fact, one of the recent ones that I saw, I believe, involved a bunch of you guys. Was it you jumping off of the helicopter over uh, an aircraft, and then it went to somebody swooping, and just this chain of events.
0: Yeah, we did a couple of cool things. That was Jeffro's idea. We did like chain wanted to show a bunch of different disciplines in one shot, which is trying to tie everything together. All the cool things you see in videos on the internet, we tried to do them in one take, right. Which was really fun and, and neat to show off to show off that kind of stuff.
1: It had to be. Now, um, in recent history, you did what has to be what will go down as one of the most single memorable jumps ever, and that was the rigless landing. How in the hell did that
0: come about, man? That one was wild. So uh, to take it back a step for me to tell the real story is that, um, and it's really neat for me, by the way, to be able to talk to skydivers about this stuff because they'll understand, right? Sure. So I was sponsored by Red Bull. I was doing demo jumps and doing that stuff. All of the other guys are shooting this movie that Never came out. Eli everybody was shooting human flight 3D. And it was gonna be this really big thing. It was gonna be super cool. There were teasers everywhere. Yeah, the acting was horrible because it was all of our guys acting, like yep. it was. <laughs> um, and they're all filming that stuff all over. And Red Bull says, Hey, we need someone to go jump and film this project. And I was like, What is it? And they we just need you to go film this project. And I showed up at Paris Valley at the wind tunnel at Paris with the camera helmet. And uh I met Felix. Felix Baumgartner was getting ready for Red Bull Stratos. Yep. And my job was literally to film him do some practice jumps, right? Um, we flew in the tunnel at Paris. We went out, did a couple practice jumps. They show up, um, Ted Strong and those guys bring out a rig and right. it's a tandem rig, right? It's a strong tandem rig, basically a little bit modified for Felix with the spacesuit. Sure. And I hey Felix, are you a are you a tandem instructor? And, you know, I had a bunch of thousand tandems at that time, a couple thousand. And I was like, Hey, are you a tandem instructor and felix said no and i was like hey experienced people with thousands of jumps are pulling the handles in the wrong order and killing themselves that was that time frame before uh bill came up with all these things to basically stops you from pulling the handles and save bunch people's lives right yeah yeah. a bunch of people's lives by designing a system that couldn't pull them in the wrong order well this one you could and i said to felix i was like hey man like you got to be careful because this you need to go through your order one two three four i was just like basically trying to give him a tandem instructor briefing as he was going up and jumping. Um, And one of the jumps, uh, he exits, and we actually had a cutaway on the reserve, because if he opened up high altitude, he wouldn't have enough oxygen to get down. If for some reason the parachute opened at 40,000 feet, 60,000 feet, 100,000 feet, even if you lived through that, you would die on the way down. So we need to be able to cut the reserve away. Well, they put a lockout on it, but Felix grabs the wrong handles, pulls them in the wrong order, and I'm filming, 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 and then he pulls the drug release to go away, uh, or he pulls the drogue, and with the drogue, a solo person he just slows down. Yeah. So that was kind of my cue. When he slowed down, I would turn and track away and open. He tugged on one of the reserve cutaway instead of the drug release um, until the Cypress fired, but he beat the Cypress, so it didn't cut the loop but super sketchy. He did things in the wrong order. Sure. Um, And that night they asked me if I would come on and help, you know, on the project because they didn't really have a skydiving expert in the, at that time. Sure. Um, They had fields who was distracted in many ways because he had all this stuff going on. So I got involved in that. I met a ton of people. I helped design. We we reworked the equipment. Kelly at velocity made me a new rig. We did some different stuff. He does a jump it's successful meet a lot of people. One of the people I met was Chris Talley. Um, He's a Red Bull nutrition guy and does his thing. He called me a couple of years after Strauss he goes, Hey, Luke, I want you to sign an NDA. And I was like, sure. And you sign a non-disclosure agreement. <laughs> if anybody sends me those, I always sign them because you get to hear about really cool projects. Usually right. you have nothing to do with them, but you get to hear some crazy guy's idea. And uh, I sign it and I go out to my car. Cause my son was like two and he's screaming in the house. I can't hear anything. So I go out to my car and these guys tell me, Hey, we want to, to jump without a parachute and i was like hey you know what that's cool gary connery already did that he landed in some cardboard boxes on a hill It was awesome with his wingsuit. suit you know it, it's not for me it, it was it's been done it was super cool he crashed those boxes and it was awesome it was one of those things that kind of slipped under the radar which probably shouldn't have for anybody but was the skydiving community is the only one that knows really sure. about that it was pretty amazing um the kahunas it took to do that but oh yeah i said no uh, not for me and they go no 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 wingsuit and i was like what and they said we want you to land and it was like a giant half pipe and they're going to hang it off the grand canyon and it was going to be this big long half pipe and it made sense to me physics wise right right you cannot burn up as you touch the side and it'll slowly turns a big slide and comes out you know and i was like wow that's uh wild it's not for me i got a (laughs) wife and son and i don't know how you test something like that right you know how to find out how do you see if that's going to work so i then told chris and them, i'm like hey give me a week or so i'll f- help you find somebody to do this you can't just go out and ask skydivers because for a little bit of money they're going to do anything yeah, you need yeah. to do this you know we, you need to do this right i'll help you figure out how to do it i'd love to be part of the team but i'm not going to do the jump it's just not for me and i went away and i went in the house and told my wife who has about two thousand skydives and we had a big laugh we were laughing about it right like this giant <laughs> we're fixing wiley e. coyote on this like sliding thing and uh ends up about 2 weeks go by and I woke up I was uh up skiing at the mountain and I woke up and I said if someone held a gun to my head and said Luke you have to jump without a parachute how could you do it is there a way to do it? is there a way to test it so that it's not like um the flip of a coin of whether it's going to work or not right, right. we're not just relying on your athletic ability or your something to make it work out um and I came up with that I I actually thought of the guy in the circus getting shot with a cannon yeah net i'm like i wonder if you could do something like that and so i sent a little drawing off to some hollywood stunt guys that i knew jeff haberstadt who's old-time jumper um and he's like yeah that would work but why not do it like this and so went back and forth a little bit i called these guys back and go hey i'll do it i'm your guy we can make this thing happen and uh, that's how it went uh the only stipulation was that i wanted to be paid before we jumped (laughs) (laughs) fair enough now
1: So how do you – you've had a good laugh with the wife thinking about the first initial idea. How in the hell – I think it took bigger balls to have to sit down in front of her and go,
0: yes, remember that thing we laughed about? I am actually going to do something like it. So before I called them and told them, like, hey, I think we can do it like this, I talked to her. I'm like, hey, what do you think about this? And we had done a bunch of other projects and smaller things, um, and we had figured out from stunts and things – she trusts that I could do things in a, in a step-by-step baby step, you know, uh crawl, walk, run kind of attitude. So she's like, Oh yeah, sure. But it seems like something, yeah, oh, sure. You can jump out without a parachute. Like it's not really going to happen. Right. right. You know, like something's going to come up. So she was all on board, but we thought we were getting paid in thirds. We were going to get a third of this money to just figure out how to do this. Right. And not ever take a single risk. Right. So for a guy who's a, Entrepreneur working for yourself, you know, trying to do your stuff. That was great. I get to do a basically a research and development project with zero risk, and I get paid to like play around. Sure. And then as it got closer to the project, when it got to the end, um, honestly, up until about two weeks before, I always thought somebody was gonna step in and say, You can't do this. (laughs) I thought it was gonna be a big brother somewhere was gonna say, Hey, you can't do this.
1: Well, I remember not only thinking that, because obviously there, there'd been a lot of build up prior to it, but then especially when it was announced that it was going to be aired on TV, I'm like, well, no, there's, there's no way. And then cut to actually watching you in free fall on TV going, this is, this is fucking happening. Holy shit. I mean, was there any point where you're like, nope, nobody stopped me.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um. For me, I was honestly surprised that it was live and it was six second delay. So yep. on the East Coast, the East Coast in the United States saw it. If it stopped six seconds if so basically if it stopped, we all know Scott. I mean, if it stopped at a thousand feet, yep. and the line went dead, you could assume something bad happened, right? Um, but they went live. I was so involved in it and so focused, and we did so many test jumps and so much practice um that it was to the point. Um, my wife and I had a deal that I had to do 75 jumps in a row opening over the top of this hundred by hundred foot box below a thousand feet, open my parachute below a thousand feet over that box. If I could do that 75 times in a row, we were very certain that I was going to be able to, I mean, 75 times, you can't throw a piece of garbage into this garbage can next to me 75 times in a row. Sure. I mean, you're now a hundred percent. You're not 90% sure it's going to work. You're a hundred percent. By the time we did it for real, we had done 82 times in a row. Wow. Um, now on our way to 75, we had to start over a bunch of times. We <laughs> out how to do it. But by the time we figured out how to do it, we were uh, so involved and so into it. The only drama came about three days before the project. I had let somebody go who thought he was a stunt coordinator on the project. Uh, he went to the screen actors guild who paid for most of our health insurance from Hollywood movies and things like that. Sure. And he told them that I was going to die and that I had never done the roll. He called it. And I was like, man, we do a rollover at our seventh jump, right. In AFF, we teach guys <laughs> barrel. I'm like, I've probably done 10,000 of them or whatever. But anyway, that was the drama over the parachute on the day of, right. They're like, Hey, he has to wear a parachute. He doesn't have to wear a parachute. The morning of the jump, we were almost not going to jump at all. And they said, well, just wear it. We'll do some hidden thing. We won't tell anybody And I said, that's not me. I'm not, if I'm straight, if I'm going to wear it, I'm going to say I'm wearing it. I'm going to make a big deal about it. I'm like, Hey, they made me do this. And I might not have even done it actually. If they, if they had gone that route, Sure. my stunt coordinator and my aerial coordinator and my wife and I had a little meeting in the morning of, and it was a bunch of back and forth and when you should be as focused as you could be on what you're going to do that afternoon, there was this back and forth parachute, no parachute. They told me, Hey, you do whatever you want to do, Luke. We got your back. Like, don't worry about anybody but what you want to do. My wife and I talked, and we had done this and we had built this up to do it without a parachute. Right. I also think when you wear a parachute, your mindset is different. You're not as focused because you have it on, you have a bailout. So, are you going to be like, Oh, I'm close enough? And then you're going to, you know, open or, or, you know, maybe wait too long or this and that. If you don't have it, All of your practice, all of your focus is into exactly what you've been working for for a year and a half. And there's no backup. There's no out for you to take at the end. So my wife and I decided we were going to do it. And it was really weird. From that meeting, when we walked out and my wife was like, no, I think you should do whatever you want, however you want to do it. Um, Everything got calm that day. Hmm. We decided to not wear a parachute. (laughs) Everything got calm and mellow, but we weren't going to tell anybody. So we took the rig and Sonic was there uh from the east so sonic he, he came he said hey I got to be here to watch and I handed him my rig I said hey can you take the dead ends out of the leg straps because I wanted to be I have a cobra buckle on my chest strap always mm. and I just wanted the dead ends off so you just slide the leg straps off leave the plane the rig in the plane and, and go and then we took off get to a couple thousand feet um and I didn't know that the same exact time that I'm doing this they're interviewing my wife and they were literally climbing up. And I was like, you know what? I'm not doing this fake thing. And I took it off right then in the plane. And at that moment, they're watching it live on TV, the, the produce everything in the booth. And at that same moment, my wife's beginning to go, be, what do you think, Monica, how's it going And Monica says, well, I'm really fucking pissed right now. They bleeped her out. And she says this <laughs> on live TV. You know, my husband's in the plane. He's getting ready to do this stuff. Everything's back and forth and back and forth. People don't even know what's going on or trying to make decisions for him. At the same time, I'm taking the rig off in the plane. They don't know this. So then they cue the host to say, hey, at the last minute, we gave him permission to take the rig off. He's just (laughs) received permission. And that was them trying to catch up with where we were already. So it's funny. People thought that was all staged. And we were like, no, they ended up playing catch up to get to where we were. That's funny. well, I
1: remember seeing a, a, a picture that you had posted that was a great shot of, I believe your wife was flying and you were uh, just smiling for the camera. And the caption was along the lines of, there's no way you could have done it without your team member, your teammate, speaking of her. And I remember thinking how cool that was, because uh, I know my wife, if I told her I wanted to jump off of a fucking stepladder without help, she'd lose her shit. So, <laughs> you know, I was- I, re- I remember thinking that was super cool.
0: We're we're a really good team with that stuff goes, you know. Um Uh and looking back, by the way, you go, you do the jump, it's successful that day. Um, when I'm coming into land after I land, I get to hear all the stories from everybody. So, like it wasn't public, but any of my friends that asked to come, you know, we we got them out there, you know. So uh Craig's there, Craig Gerard Eliana, um, Sean Hill flew in, uh, Josh Hall. Like there's a whole bunch of like there's a lot of skydiving, like royalty that was there that yeah, just because they're like, hey, we're not gonna, you know, miss this thing. And I heard a funny story that um I think Josh told me that Craig was sitting next to him. And I guess when I was about 5,000 feet, he uh, elbowed Josh and said, man, this is a really big jump. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) I thought that was a pretty funny. So I like hearing those ones after after the fact, but well, um, and
1: especially from somebody like Gerard, I mean, talk about the the, the true gentleman of skydiving. I mean, the, the guy is literally the the uh, the poster child for the perfect skydiver and to
0: have him there and going, this is a big deal. That's fucking funny. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah. So th- those are like the fun memories you take away from that particular project is the teamwork and all the stuff. You know, I got the accolades. I got to be the guy who did this thing. Um But. It, without all of them, everybody, I couldn't have done that. You know, my sure. the whole team that makes that thing happen, right? I mean, we dropped dummies into that net over and over, measuring G-forces. We had these cylinders. It was just really complicated, so it wasn't the flip of a coin. Um, and it took a whole team to get through that project. We got home from that. We, my wife and I went. We did the morning shows in New York and all that afterwards. I got home, and I watched it. I recorded I watched it. And I was sweating watching it on the couch. Yeah. The I bet. I bet. Well, <laughs> And I know I'm okay at that point.
1: <laughs> the image that sticks out in my mind more than anything is whoever was flying camera um uh, was above you with this incredible view down. And all I could focus on was the back of your green jumpsuit with the emblem on the back and not seeing a rig. And I just couldn't wrap my head around the fact that I'm just looking at your jumpsuit. It was
0: it was fucking wild. I think that was uh, John DeVore's view. And what's really funny is I hand off my oxygen to Andy at about 12,000 feet or so because I didn't want to land with the mask on. So I take that off, and I hand it off to Andy. He takes it. Um, and then I have Jeffro and John jumping with me, right? At 5,000 feet or 6,000 feet, Andy deploys, goes away. Right after he goes away, Jeffro pulls and opens, and John's supposed to open last because he had that live shot you're talking about. And he's supposed to pull right then john said he didn't know what to do because he said there's my buddy falling without a parachute on and i'm here and like there's nothing i can do so he actually took it down to almost 3,000 feet with me <laughs> and he was supposed to open like right away because he was like nothing you could do um and a really funny side note to that for the skydiving community was i jumped out and i did a flip out of the plane because you needed to like when you're you're so bent up you need a little bit of like relax right so i hooked the flip i did a few rolls to my back up high And I was sitting there and I thought, you know what's funny is to do a practice pull. So (laughs) I waved off and I did a practice pull. And I love the fact that that started a whole bunch of drama. Oh, he has a parachute on. He was doing a practice pull. I mean, do you really need a practice pull at 20,000 jumps? Right. (laughs) I (laughs) mean, my doing that was just a nod from me to my skydiver community, right? To my buddies, to my family in the skydiving world because fucking funny. all the things that I do, whether it's jumping one plane to another, that thing, the demos, the no parachute jump, um, what I'm planning next, all that stuff. It's all about, I want my friends to think what I do is cool. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not that I don't care about the rest of it, but the fact that like my peers think what I'm doing is neat. it, it, it That's who I'm doing it for is myself and my peers. And um, to hear that from the skydivers, and the Skydive community being so fired up was pretty awesome to watch.
1: Oh, for sure. Well, and I remember thinking back because uh, uh, the first time I saw somebody jump without a rig, it was Pastrana when he did that jump in Mexico. And I was never particularly a fan of that jump because it didn't seem like there was enough planning into it. It seems it <laughs> seemed super sketchy. And back in the day, I felt like it gave Skydivers a bad name. The flip side to that was yours was so meticulous and so well planned out that I got to take pride as a skydiver in how you guys did it because it it came off like you did it right. Whereas Pastrana's sprayed with fucking Red Bull and and doing flips and hopefully his buddy gets to him.
0: Right, but Travis, that's uh, his thing. You know, I think it, it's a lot more planned than you think. You know I'm what sure. I mean? Like. I, I get you, but I always say when I talk about Travis, I like Travis, good buddy. And I always say that Travis's um, athletic ability and stuff gets him out of stuff that, you know, <laughs> normal person's gonna be dead doing. Um, oh, no doubt. And, and he surrounds himself with the right people, but I'm glad you took that away because that was the hard thing on that one is I w- didn't want to be the crazy guy that jumped without a parachute. Yep. I wanted to be the guy that proved you can do something that seems impossible. If you go about it the right way.
1: Sure. Well, and that's definitely what I took away from it. And again, when when I saw that Pastrana jump, this was God knows how many years ago. That must have been close to 20 years ago that he did that jump. Yeah, a long time. Um, uh, And now, of course, looking back, I I still don't like that jump nearly as much just because of the way it came off back then. But um, yours, like I said, it really came off as having been meticulously planned, which was a credit to uh, what you guys put into it. Now, out of all of those... The ones that uh, obviously you've got other stuff that's in the works, but um, out of all the ones that you've done, what do you think has been your most challenging or funnest one?
0: Um, I would say that the most fun one um, was the plane swap one that we just did. Hands down, the most challenging was the no parachute jump. The, the, the The plane swap one is a perceived risk, right? There wasn't sure. really anybody at risk. We're out in the middle of the desert. We got five miles empty underneath us. We got seven aircraft circling us, and Andy and I have parachutes on. Yeah. So the very worst thing that could happen happened. Yeah. Right. And nobody was hurt. Not only was nobody hurt, but it wasn't even close to anybody getting hurt. Right. Right. It's uh, a piece of shit, 1964, beat up, rusted out, 182 that took a damage. Yeah. Um. So that was the most fun because the risk there wasn't as much life and limb, right? As long as your patient doesn't open up on your way in or your way out, yep, you're pretty much going to be okay. And I was surprised at that one, Um, uh, we did that in Arizona. And when there were people there, uh a lot of skydivers and stuff, and I was surprised at how I almost felt like I was trying to make it not corny almost, right? Because if you really think about it, there's no risk. But when you get into it, it was high stakes and like really fun. And then um, the skydivers that were there and stuff were like shocked at how intense they felt as it was going on, you know? Sure. So that was the most fun. And it was a really fun year and a half of like testing and developing and fighting with people. And like that, that was, what I really enjoyed the whole process on the plane swap.
1: Now, how'd that, uh, uh, the unique system to keep you vertical and, and at speed, how did that all come about? Cause that was a wild system.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, when I, like I said, I grew up in this sport. In the 90s, I saw a picture on the Parachutist magazine. I think Tom Sanders might have taken it. There was a steerman biplane in a dive with a drogue behind it. Mm. And there was a guy in free fall next to it. I thought it was Jerry Myers, but I think it was uh, uh, Don Lee... Uh, I think it was Kevin Donnelly, Dave's dad, and uh, they were doing it for a movie or for something like that. And other people had flown up and gotten into planes. I wasn't doing something that hadn't been done before, but they all had these big drugs and a pilot in it, holding it stable. And I had always saw that. And when I was a kid, I just wanted to recreate it. Right. When I was in high school, I was like, man, I just want to do that. Like I I never knew. And then you get in with Red Bull, you got all these things. And then you get asked to present some ideas that you would like to do. Um, And most of them you never get to do. And I presented two planes diving at the ground with the drugs and the pilots switching planes, leaving them empty, but it had drugs. And then as I was thinking about it, when I was like trying to sell it up the road, uh, not having the drugs made it sexier, made it cooler. Right. Is there a way to do this where the plane is basically a plane and you can like take it off and fly away afterwards, you know, and, and all of that. And so um, I found a guy, Paulo Escold, he's a professor of aerodynamics at Cal Poly and I said, Hey, do you think we do a break? And we started looking into it. And you know, 182s were the most, they're easy to come by and all that stuff. And so he designed this brake system. And then we did this trim. I had over 200 dives of that plane trying to get it to where it would go hands off because <laughs> it would be going straight down and a straight down airplane. It's actually still making lift because going the speed of an airplane it's going about 130 and the wing is shaped aerodynamics so it's actually going across the sky like that right. so it's very hard you almost couldn't track with it if it was straight down so we had to actually make the plane about negative 97 degrees wow to get it to actually go vertical and so all this stuff we learned along the way and it was really fun
1: oh it had to be i mean watching the uh the whole transition through it and, and the the video that was produced showing some of the testing and stuff was as a pilot especially was super interesting
0: it was really cool, so we put them both in an experiment. I went through the FAA, got all the permissions to dive these at the ground, and to it's funny they wouldn't let us. I asked for a waiver to skydive out of the aircraft for testing, and I explained the whole thing. Here's what we're doing: we're going to dive out of one, we're going to get the other one, and they said you don't need a waiver. The FAA writes this thing, and this is where the skydiving community really pissed me off. <laughs> um, all my friends and fam out there, you guys really pissed me off. Some of you, not all of you, some of you, you big haters out there. The uh, plane. I asked for permission to jump out of the plane. It goes all the way through the FAA. The FAA comes back and says, we do not consider this skydiving. You do not intend to parachute to the surface. Therefore, it doesn't meet the definition of skydiving. Right. From the FAA on a big letterhead, that's done. So now that removes USPA. It removes everybody, all skydiving from it because the FAA saying it's not skydiving. Sure. So they said we didn't need an exemption to jump out of it because we don't intend to skydive if we skydive it's an emergency we used our parachute because we weren't able to get back in sure that was super cool um and that letter ends up how come none of you guys that hate me can't bust me from skydiving um but <laughs> um the, the the whole thing about that was so cool that we were working with them all the way through you know and at the very end on friday night um i don't think i need their permission i'd ask for months and months and months i get nothing get nothing i think they were taking a step back, and they were just going to let it go. Um, I hit up a bunch of senators and a bunch of people had them asking the FAA what was going on. And then on Friday night, I got a letter that said, um, you know, hey, this exemption you asked for, and I only asked not if I could do it. I said, can the pilots leave their station? Um, The FAA told me, you may need this exemption. And if you do, you don't have enough time to apply for it. And I said, well, I don't think I need it. I don't think i meet that. I'm dropping like we throw cars out of airplanes in the exact same spot that crash in the desert. Right. Like a 60-second Camaro crashing into the desert without a parachute, without anything. And I'm like, that's what we're doing. And they said, well, maybe you need this. Maybe you don't. So I applied for it anyway. But on the exemption request, I wrote, I do not believe that I this applies to me. I was directed to apply for this. Um, and I'm just going about my business. I get that. So all I got was a denial letter saying I can't. The request, the specific regulation I asked to waive, they weren't going to waive. So then I look at it like, well, actually, that never applied to me anyway, I don't think. Sure. Here's what's going on. Um, And honestly, if everything would have worked out perfect, it was a cover your ass letter they sent to me on Friday night at 4.30 p.m. Arizona time. (laughs) And we're doing it live on Sunday night. Everybody's known. The FAA is known for seven months. This is going on. They gave you permission to make the planes modified for doing this. They've seen video of it and they sent that uh, and their offices aren't even open between then and Monday morning. Sure. And then uh, that's how that all went down. But uh, it was really, really cool. And what was crazy was when I jumped out and I head over there and Andy said, Hey, the blue plane's out of control. So we could talk in free fall. And Andy goes, it's out of control. And I'm like, what? And I still have to get to mine because I can't really worry about him at this moment. (laughs) So I go and to fly up to an airplane with nobody in it, that's diving at the ground. It's pretty wild to look in the door and see nobody. It's got to be.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, it, I couldn't even wrap my head around it. Uh, it's it, it watching the video was even uh, just more bizarre to me than the rigless jump as a pilot. So I'm I'm watching this this empty fucking cockpit and you working your way <laughs> past the strut to get into it. Going, this is how the fuck. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and so like really, at the end of the day, Andy made one more skydive. Um, yeah, and uh, you know he landed, and even on the TV, it's pretty funny. They said one of the news articles had Andy landing under his emergency parachute, and he's removing the slider off of his Leia and setting up for a big six thirty turn into the desert. That was his emergency parachute. So it's oh, funny. Uh,
1: I mean the news is always the best when it comes to skydiving, right? They they uh, sometimes they try, but most of the time they're just pulling shit out of their ass.
0: <laughs> And, you know, honestly, to their credit, I never answered one question. This is one of the first times I've talked about this at all. Um, There's so much to it. Sure. um, We never talked. So they only had the information that they got from the FAA and their experts, you know. Um, The one thing I got to say, though, about our skydiving community, we talk about family, we talk about all this. There was quite a bit of venom out there uh, Hmm. saying that I was ruining skydiving and I was going to make it so the FAA may, you know, made skydiving illegal i mean there's this craziness going on from people that don't really um know and i thought it was really funny that everyone totes this big family love and in that moment there was a lot of hate from a very small minority by the way of people sure. um, and i'm just out there showing off what we do i'm trying to get more eyes on skydiving i think everyone in the world should make one jump you Absolutely. know and i really really believe that and i'm out there promoting this sport i try to do things safely um, I do everything you're supposed to, and uh, I thought it was pretty bummer. You know, I was honestly bummed on, well, on some of that.
1: I, I go never go really... to
0: Oshkosh though, right after that, right? I, I don't do anything for six months, I can't stay off the radar. I go to Oshkosh, where the pilots are, and I think pilots would be the ones that would be all up in arms and all pissy. I go to Oshkosh, I jump in, I'm announcing on the show, the rest of the jumpers jumping in the whole show. I had people coming up. Taking pictures. I can't believe they're coming down on you like that. You were in the middle of the desert. There was nobody in danger. Like all of the stuff I thought that my community that I have supported my whole life would have been doing was this community that I didn't. And I really came to respect a lot of that, the aviation community, a lot more than I did because of how they reaction to this was very cool.
1: And it's, it's awesome that they had that reaction towards you and, and a very, again, methodical attempt at a stunt, you know, the kind of stuff that just kind of pushes aviation and the sport forward by trying these new things. And then you had that moron that for, uh, an Instagram video bails out of his plane with a sport rig on saying he had a malfunction and the <laughs> aviation community fucking raped that guy.
0: <laughs> yeah. It was very interesting how they did. And, um, even in the court stuff we love when people compared the two you know there's um, no comparison They were so they're they're so different right but yeah. yeah, we did it how we went about it and the whole thing where we did it how yep. we did the thing you know um and that video over the desert when you guys <laughs> see when i start posting stuff that plane diving at the ground over the desert it's awesome yeah uh and there's nothing below there you know uh obviously they were uh in court they said to me they said hey so how do you know that a plane wasn't going to fly under there well we have adsb well they don't all have adsb we're like yeah we had six aircraft circling the area we had people on the ground with radios we had a knock it off signal we had all of these things and we heard green 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 before andy and i initially initiated the dive that meant everything is clear it's 40 seconds from the pushover till the plane lands in the desert yeah. OK, so we're like, hey, how far could you see that day? And they're like, I don't know. And I said, OK, let's say 10 miles in Arizona on a clear day, which is easy. Yeah. Right. 10 miles biz, Uh the plane would have to go 500 miles an hour <laughs> and be at that exact moment in order to penetrate our airspace. It's right. Virtually impossible. Well, and
1: it, it's also especially knowing the history of what's going on at that drop zone. And I mean, I grew up to Joe Jennings good stuff, you know, I mean, so cool. you're throwing fucking cars and living rooms out of airplanes over that desert. So the argument that an aircraft might fly through and hit something is moot because <laughs> you guys have been throwing shit out of airplanes, including people for a very long time over that chunk of airspace.
0: Yeah. And they everyone knew where we were, what we we're doing. I mean, we are doing live TV.
1: Yeah. yeah. They yeah, really
0: yeah. didn't like it. All they had to do was come. They knew where I was going to be for weeks ahead of time. They knew for about six months where we were going to be and the day we were going to do it and the time and all that. Sure. But anyway, that doesn't matter. We got our licenses back. <laughs> Congratulations. We never heard back. We've never <laughs> heard back yet from the uh, NTSB on our appeal. We filed an appeal about seven months ago and we've not heard a single thing, um, which it only matters to me and my pride right now. Everyone's like, why do you keep sure. investing in this? Well, for me, I. I don't like, I don't mind the, the, the punishment part. I don't mind all that stuff. What really bothers me is the careless and reckless. Yeah. Say, hey, we, even if they interpret it that they said, Hey, we told you not to, if, they, if that's where they come down and you did it, I'm like, okay, I did it. But careless and reckless is a willful disregard for persons and property. And with all the precautions and everything we did, there was no careless and reckless about sure. what I. Did. my whole reputation. My life is built on planning, preparation, risk mitigation, All of that.
1: Well, and if you put that same standard to pretty much all of skydiving and aviation going backwards, then both aviation and skydiving all fit the careless and reckless definition. All of
0: it. Yeah. And, you know, for for me, it's not about all these things I do. I love to do them, right? Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to pretend that (laughs) it's not just super fun to be able to do all this stuff. Right. But I also want to inspire people. Like I go do talks on the No Parachute Jump and this kind of thing. And I talk to people and I don't think I'm inspiring people to do this, right? Sure. They're not going to go jump out of a plane without a parachute. It's not going to become a sport, right? I just want them to see that anything is possible, sure, right? No matter what it is, if you want to quit your job, and go get a better job. If you want to do this, if you plan and prepare and like interview and you do all this stuff and you save money so that you have this transition period that you can do anything. If it's something as simple as that, if me showing that I do this, And I could jump out this plane without a parachute and land in this net and be totally safe and have it not even seem too sketchy for the when I did it, that you could do anything. Yeah. Just put your mind to it and come up with a plan.
1: Which is pretty awesome. I mean, it really is. And that one, you're going to be telling that story for a very, very long time. Now, is there anything uh, anything coming up that uh, you can talk about?
0: Um, Not quite yet. I'm working (laughs) on some stuff. I got a couple things that I want to do um one not so big and one real big and then um i really would love to have somebody come to me with an idea that they want to do and i would love to help somebody you know do their thing sure you know it's about time not quite i have two more little things but for me to maybe take a step back and be the guy behind um the guy kind of what i did on stratus with felix sure i was in the background and you help you know i worked in that for two and a half three years um and help him do that i'd love to have somebody who had an idea that I thought was worthy of, you know, um, these live TV events. I loved the evil Knievel stuff when I was a kid and things sure. like that. And um, that's kind of what I've been trying to do in uh different than him, because I felt like when he did his stuff, he didn't care. He assumed he was gonna get hurt and banged up sure, and maybe right. die. Um, and if I feel that that's gonna happen, I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, those yeah. are the differences. Uh I also just finished a project with Orlando Bloom, the actor. Oh, nice. I took him from no skydives. This will get the community fired up. I took him from zero skydives to wingsuiting for a TV show. And we did it in 32 jumps. <laughs> <laughs> <Holy> <laughs> <God>. <laughs> so I'm always like, the, the whole goal on that one was to, he. it's a show. He's got three episodes where he's pushing the limits of what he could sure. do. He's super fit, super athletic. And we took him to the wind with Mickey Nuttall, and they came out. And we went, and his whole AFF program all the way through was just working on trying to wingsuit. You know what I mean? We did. As soon as he was doing solos, we we're doing wingsuit exits, wingsuit pulls, going through the whole thing. And all he had to do was fly a wingsuit. Right. Um, and we got a. I got a waiver for it. And in the meeting at the board meeting, they said, "I'm uh, on the board of directors, and right, I don't get to vote on my own stuff." But I was like, "Hey, here's what I want to do, and we're just trying to show that." focus training with the right person. It's not as much about numbers. Um, Now, obviously he needs experience and he was only able to do this for the show and he doesn't have a bunch of the other skills you need for skydiving, right? He only has the skill to open up, fly a wingsuit, steer, and open his parachute and land where he wants. Right. But that was the whole goal of the project. So that one will come out in November on TV and that'll be a, that's a really cool one. There'll be a bunch of, a bunch of piss and vinegar coming from that one too. Oh, fuck him. But that bumps my respect for Orlando Bloom. That's pretty badass. Dude, he was a stud. It came from, it was funny because the first couple of days, my wife did the AFF with me. And the first three, the first two days, he was is very much an actor going through a role, doing his stuff. The fifth day or so, we made a jump. And as he dove out, I was filming and he dives out the door and he's doing a dive to dock with my wife, Monica. Right. And he loves and the look on his face. It changed in that moment. It was really cool. I watched him come from an actor who was doing a job to a skydiver. Right. Right. He didn't care about the camera. He was just in it. You know, that intense look and the focus. And it's kind of a half. you know, that on your 20th jumper. So you got a half smile. It's sort of fun, but you're really focused. Sure. And it was the same look I've seen thousands of times on other jumpers. It was really cool to watch him change and become a skydiver in that moment was really
1: which is pretty spectacular well and i suppose growing up uh, um uh, it's it's difficult sometimes to take hollywood and the actors seriously but uh, i had the opportunity to uh, uh do some of the flying for uh tom cruise when he did the uh um i forget which mission impossible it was where he skydived into paris Um, But he was doing the jumps out in Dubai and he did uh, the tailgate portion out in Abu Dhabi, but they did the freefall portion out of our otters uh, at Skydive Dubai out in the desert. And uh, I remember watching his work ethic and then watching the um, the dailies at the end of the day and watching what he was doing and, you know, not a super experienced skydiver, but just watching the passion that he had, not necessarily for the, the uh, film and the video and all that, but for the jumping. And he was having fun. And I remember that really changed my opinion about him as well. I'm like, oh, this dude's a fucking skydiver that also happens to be Tom Cruise.
0: Yeah. He, I felt the same. And that's what John DeVore told me. Cause John worked with Tom on the last one, a bunch. Um, and John said the same thing about um, Tom. And I, I just, it was very cool to see. I, I didn't know Orlando at all before this thing. And um, that was the first thing I did after the plane swap. Right. So it's a pretty big deal. And now here I went and I asked for, as the USPA is trying to decide if they're going to bust me or not. I then am asking to teach someone to wingsuit <laughs> 20 jumps. Um, And my thing was that I think that we're bringing more positive light to skydiving than, you know, I mean, I don't think anything that I've ever done um, has done anything but bring more eyes and more passion to our sport. Well, and I mean, uh,
1: really, the only stones that are being thrown, it sounds like, are coming from inside the sport, probably by people who are pissed off that they're not the ones doing it. So. <laughs>
0: and, you know, honestly, that was it. I didn't get one thing from anybody who was not in the sport. And a couple of people took them back afterwards and stuff. It's really easy in this day for people to jump on. And I call them Internet tough guys. You know, they sure. get on there, they'll type it all up. And then when you meet them face to face and you're like, hey, man, why don't you ask me? You know me. You know me my whole life. Call me up. Do you yep. think I'm the guy that's going to give the middle finger to the FAA? Yeah. There's must be more to the story than what you're hearing on the Today Show.
1: <laughs> sure. Well, and, and the cool thing was, though, from just the uh, the WFO perspective, it all came off as very professional and very very well planned out, which at the end of the day, that's the important part if you're trying to uh, draw more respect and draw a bigger group into the sport.
0: Yeah, and I think that the, the funny part for me is that some of the skydivers was like, Oh, Red Bull's doing this and Red Bull's doing that. They don't know that I pitched this to Red Bull for 10 years in a row. <laughs> I alternated, I changed it, I twisted it, I did everything I could to make this. I mean, I begged them. They are right. talking to me, right? Um, so that's how a lot of this stuff goes. It's not those guys pushing. If anything, it's it's me pushing them and them backing us and letting us, you know, having sure. some faith and trust in us to, to do these things. And after that was over, you know, Red Bull's obviously very concerned about public image and stuff um so they they have these companies that go out and they ask a bunch of questions and they ask and um overwhelmingly the general public around the world saw it as red bull doing red bull things you know what i mean you're doing stuff that's pushing the envelope and it doesn't yep. always work and it seemed real but there wasn't there was no negative feeling on it and sure. think that's what me out is that there was a small group vocal group in our community that was uh That way, it kind of bummed me out because these guys know me. I mean, if you know me, you ever talk to me. I grew up in this life. Would I do anything that would hurt the sport that I love? No. Sure,
1: sure. (laughs) Well, but there's always going to be that minority. There's always going to be somebody bitching. And unfortunately, we live uh, in an outrage lifestyle now. Everybody is looking for something to get pissed off about. So fuck (laughs) them.
0: And I have – it was so fun. If there – I would let – we took the plane up just the other day, the silver plane, the one I got in. Yeah, and we put the brake down, and I had Mike Swanson, Andy Farrington, uh, Scott Plammer come up with wingsuits. So you'd only have to put the brake down a little bit. And they you know the wingsuit with the porter. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. We've done that a bunch. This one, because that brake was so big, it was like such a mellow non-event. My son was sitting in the right seat. I did one, and I did the next one. It was so mellow. So I took Logan up. We had pilot rigs on and stuff. And he's 11. And Mike flies up next to it, and I'm looking out my left window at Andy on the left tire. And then Logan says on the headset, he goes, Dad, Dad, Mike's right here. I'm like, yeah, Andy's right here. And, and he's like, no, no, Dad, Dad, Mike is right here. He's going to touch the wheel. And then I hear Mike say, hey, Logan, what's up? And he's like wingsuiting next to the plane. <laughs> it's so fun. It's See, super what cool. To do for a living is it's crazy. It's incredible. And I pinch myself all the time.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I was lucky enough uh, um, to spend a lot of time both jumping and flying. And and now I get to sit and, and talk to people that are doing all this stuff like you guys are doing, which is just I mean, all of it. It's just been a fantastic ride that just keeps continuing. And like you, it's great. You you get such pleasure out of seeing other people achieve these amazing goals and, and do all this fantastic stuff. It It's just it's awesome.
0: It's so cool. And man, these kids out there right now are charging. Oh. What they're doing under canopies. I mean, I saw a guy, so a long time ago, you know, Andy, we went to the pond ranch pond swoop meet and we, we practiced all summer here in the Northwest soaking wet. We go to that thing in September at the, at Sonics and Billy's meet there. Uh, Andy comes in, drags his feet, lets go of his toggles with his hands and pulls out the cap guns and points yes. them at the judges, right? You've seen yes. that picture. Uh, yeah. And He shoots at the judges um, and then makes it ashore. and that same round. I think I went first, then Andy did that. I came in, and I did the early, the. now it's called the blind man. Mm. Uh, but at the time, I just shoved my feet in the water, and that was the first time anybody had seen that. And put a half a line twist in your parachute, and I got it from, used to watch guys screw up, right? You'd hit the pond, they'd bounce off, they'd get line twists, they'd flare just instinctually, and it would come out, and they would land yep. nicely. Man, you almost died. So I thought, why can't you do that on purpose? Right. So that was how... We developed all that stuff, but to watch what we did then, which we thought was cutting edge at the time, to watch what these guys are doing now—it's—it's it's insane. Oh, I mean, well, the and, a barrel roll, right? He, they're like, oh, I know it. Doing a Whoa!
1: I was watching uh, uh, Pablo Hernandez was trying to nail the barrel roll out in Dubai, and I remember watching some of the footage of that stuff. And I mean, whether it's canopies or uh, the suiting stuff that they're doing now, I've got uh, Danny Roman's going to sit down again with me here in a couple of weeks, and. I, I mean, I remember watching him just recently flying past the observers, flaring up and landing next to the observers.
0: That should have been everywhere. I don't yes. know why it was. I don't think people understood what they saw.
1: Yeah, but for sure. He
0: basically buzzed heads, opened, and then landed back there. Which is that was absolutely coolest.
1: Yeah, that was an absolute perfect uh, uh, demonstration of basically flaring off the ground and opening up and dialing it back i mean it was incredible
0: and they used to say you couldn't go up i remember people saying nope it's fake fake news can't go up well
1: yeah Uh, yeah, it's a different world
0: when i I saw him in arizona we had a training camp in arizona in february and i told him i was like man that was one of the coolest things i've seen in a long time was that that particular jump but didn't he paraglide up too so i think that's what made it even better yeah he tandem paraglide up jumped wingsuited buzzed by i mean it was like all human powered. Oh yeah, like
1: just- yeah. The comment I posted was something along the lines of "What the actual fuck?" Because <laughs> <laughs> I was, couldn't. It was pretty cool. And it's and that that's happening across the board. I mean, things are being done that um, when I started 29 years ago were the stuff of imagination. You know, I mean, this was when the Chronicles videos were coming out and everybody was <laughs> losing their shit because uh, o- you know, Olaf was running around upside down. And now from that to this, it's incredible.
0: Yeah. And, you know, for me, that's one of the cool things about all these projects. And everybody talks about the people you meet and stuff. Right. So when I met Charles Bryan, right, he was on the rebel team with us forever before me. And then recently has, has take a step back. But like, I remember him from the Chronicles. Right. And all yes. that stuff. Swanson from all of the the clowns things and all yes. that stuff. Right? I was like, man, now these guys are like your buddies hanging out. And I felt the same way with uh, Joe Kittinger. I went from a kid, third oh. generation Scott ever that grew up. Knowing who Joe Kittinger was, right? Yeah, he, that's you always asked back then. Who's jumped from the highest? You know, and it was Colonel Kittinger back then. To during Stratos, becoming friends with him, you know, and spending a lot of time where his wife Sherry and him send my son Christmas presents and you know all that stuff. And then when Joe's passing, made me sit back to think about all of the people I've met. Yeah, you know, in skydiving that were legends then. You know what I mean? Like that, yep. it's pretty cool. I remember. Um, you know, uh, I hope to be. In that kind of thought of that when you're older and gone, you know, that's what what you're up to, you know?
1: Well, that's that's probably my favorite part about the sport is it's one of the few sports that has such a a high level of achievement where your heroes can become your buddies. Yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, I, I remember sitting across, or uh, I, again, I grew up watching uh, Chronicles and all that in the sport and watching uh, Omar Al Hijalan do these amazing things. And then cut to more than 20 some odd years later, sitting across the table sharing a glass of wine, uh, you know, chit chatting about all this amazing shit that he's done and, and it, it just going, what, what an incredible sport we've got. We really do.
0: It is so cool. And, you know, for, Uh, The stuff that I do and the things I do, I want it to be remembered as the uh, not for one thing, right? I want the body of work, right? The years have been doing this, you know, since 89 and all of the things you've done, not just the one one off thing. And I think that when I think of all those guys you mentioned, I think of their body of work, you know, it wasn't just one; it wasn't just the Omar with no shirt on standing up. You right. know, All ripped up doing his thing. It's not just that it's everything that he did to to be who he is. And that's, you know, what you hope to achieve. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll tell you what,
1: Luke, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to sit down with me. I'm not going to burn any more to your time because I could literally eat up your entire day getting stories from you. But I have to chop this. You'll have to chop
0: this up. And there's so many more. stories.
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Which is why I guarantee, especially after the next couple of ones that come out that you can't talk about yet, you can guarantee you're going to be getting emails from me going, fuck, we got to I got to get you back on.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to do something really big, which would be cool.
1: Well, expect emails from me and expect uh, uh, myself and a whole lot of people to be watching and waiting for it to happen
0: gotcha but hey no more no parachute jumps for me i kind of called that one i did that one we'll check that one off so
1: perfect yeah no no no. you did it
0: once i'm glad it was amazing don't do it again (laughs) that was what we said you know you don't try to top that and we were talking about just the other night um and uh i stopped talking for a minute so you could chop this in or whatever but um so one of the other cool parts about the no parachute jump was that when you landed, it had this mm-hmm. vibrating feeling, you know, that they talk about being in the zone and and focused and <clears throat> all of those things. That last thousand feet or so, it was everything is so clear. The net looks so big and all that stuff. You land and you get up. I had to get up off the ground, right? I had to actually stand up. Sure. It's, it lowered me on my net, back to the net. And I talked to myself. I just posted a video on Facebook about just the raw clip of the odd. It's just rolling on my chest. And you can hear the emotion and, you know, the whole thing in it. <laughs> And it's really cool, but that feeling, I think if you try to chase that feeling of that high, I, I think that you don't live very long. Yeah, I think how could you? I am fortunate enough to have done it. S- super cool, successful, all that stuff. But I think you you put that on a shelf and you move on and you don't chase that. I think if you're chasing that, that's a problem, I think, with some of the wingsuiting. And these are my best friends, the wingsuiting in the mountains and things like that, right? Yes. Chasing it. You're, you're always trying to go lower and faster and stronger and i think at some point you die is that when you win like i don't quite understand that stuff and that's what i tried to do with that particular jump was do it shelf it done move on to something else and that rolled into plane swap which was perceived danger right whole different fun happy you know not life and death not blue skies black death but more like we're gonna try and do something super cool and amazing like uh i did with david blaine when we flew the balloons right i yep. designed the equipment with his balloons and um trained him for that jump and talked him through the jump and and all of those things um that was just trying to do something beautiful it wasn't him being frozen a block of ice for a week and almost dying sure. or holding his breath till he passes out underwater it was just trying to do something cool and fun and inspire sure and that's the difference in projects so i think you have to move on um and look for the next things I think that's
1: the that's the one thing I can say that I actually have uh, specifically in common with you is myself and Jacko and Cross Keys took David Blaine on his first three AFF jumps.
0: Nice. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, back that's in really two thousand
1: and five. Cool. So I get to share that well, with you. I'm I'm yeah, never going to be. That,
0: uh, I was going to say I'm, a I'm, long time ago, right?
1: Yeah, 07. yeah. That was oh yeah. five. Wow, yeah. I'll I'll never be laying in a net taking a picture of a, a net a hundred feet above me. I'll never get to do that, but I got to jump with David Blaine like you did.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, David was a good guy, man. He was one of the um, coolest, nicest guys I've ever um, instructed and became like a good friend, like staying at our house and like, you know, he's a good, he's a great, great friend of ours. Um, Skydiving, he had to work at. Yeah. It's not, you know what I mean? We've all had students that are intuitive and they take it on and they're like, Orlando was super good. And it was just very natural. David was committed and worked his way through all of that, which is, you know, uh, a, another level of commitment. Which sure. I don't know that everybody has to work sure. through that difficult. <laughs> it's well, <not> and <laughs> and his
1: card tricks are fucking insane, man. They yeah. just uh, next level crazy. He blew everybody at Cross Keys away after a day of jumping. He did a couple of tricks, and the whole hangar is just losing their shit. So insane. it was, yeah, yeah, impressive stuff.
0: Very cool. Well, hey, man, thanks for having me. This has been great. And I was glad we were able to finally make it happen.
1: Yeah, no, no, I I really appreciate it. I I really can't uh, wait to see what comes next, both for your jumps and and the behind the scenes stuff you do with other people. So again, thank you so much.
0: No worries, man. Thanks. Luke, you take care.
1: Well, there you have it. Another episode of the Lunatic Fringe podcast brought to you as always by, well, wait, not as always, actually. Brought to you now by Gyro. Formerly known as NZero Sports, you'll head to gyro.com for their next level line of canopies. By Pussfoot, the extreme sports collective. Head over to pussfoot.com to check it out. By Summit Parachute Systems, check out summitparachutesystems.com to talk to Jarrett Martin and the gang about kick-ass pilot rigs, rigging courses, and more. By Flyaway Indoor Skydiving, Go to flyawaytn.com and check out all the cutting edge stuff to come buy pure spectrum cbd head to purespectrumcbd.com to check out their wide range of cbd products and as for us head to the lunatic podcast.com to listen to any of the hundreds of episodes currently available hit the link for our youtube channel pick up your copy of the lunatic fringe book or the accidental stripper and get a sneak peek at upcoming guests once again thanks for listening we'll see you next time